today on Divine Truth Podcast. You're not going to find truth in psychology. You're not going to find truth with Oprah. You're not going to find truth with Dr. Spock. You're not going to find truth with anything else, but you'll only find truth in the true church because the true church is marked as a defender, a foundation of the truth. This is the Divine Truth Podcast, a ministry of Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. This podcast is for the purpose of teaching God's people through the verse-by-verse exposition live from the pulpit of Emmanuel Baptist Church. We pray that the Word of God richly blesses you as you hear it proclaimed. Philippians chapter number 2, and after you have found that, I have respect for God's Word. If you would please stand. As we read our text, Philippians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 1. Philippians 2, beginning in verse number 1. This is the word of God. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, Apply your truth to our hearts. Plant its relevance in our being that we may leave here today more like you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you very much. You may be seated. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be known by certain markers. These markers, these indications are those things that really make the church the church. For example, the church needs to be a body of Christ that is known by its purity. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, (coughs) that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Paul further said into the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, he says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste or as a pure virgin to Christ. And folks, quite honestly, the only way that the true church can maintain its relevance in a society is by the level of sanctification of its members. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. 
And then Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, According as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, why? That we should be holy and without blame before him. The entire purpose, church, of us being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world is so that we would then be turned and made into the image of Jesus Christ. Our sanctification was a sole reason for our election. And Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked into some great detail about the sanctification that needs to take place in Christians' lives back in chapter 1, verse 27. And so we won't go back and repeat that, but just as by way of reminder that one of the markers of the true church that we need to expose to people, to expose to the world, expound to the world, by which the church is known, is the church's purity. Another marker, folks, that the church needs to be known is that the church needs to be known as a defender and upholder of the truth. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, But if I tarry long, that thou mightest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, listen what it says, church, the pillar and ground of the truth. Church, listen, the church that Jesus Christ is building is the only living organism that is given the job as a defender of the truth. And of course, the church is not the building. The church is the people that comprise or that assemble in the building. We are the church, and therefore, we are given the job to defend and uphold the truth. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church there, uh, in Ephesus, and he spoke about the pillar of the truth. No doubt what he had in mind was the temple to the goddess of Diana that was present there in Ephesus. And this great temple, Diana, was supported by 127 gold-plated marble pillars. And when Paul says the ground, he's referring to the foundation upon which a building rests. Listen, church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, according to Scripture, is the only living organism, along with any other New Testament church, is the only living organism out there that is given the job to be the foundation of the truth and to be that which upholds the truth. Listen, the only place you will find real truth is in the true church. You're not going to find truth in psychology. You're not going to find truth with Oprah. You're not going to find truth with Dr. Spock. You're not going to find truth with anything else. But you'll only find truth in the true church because the true church is marked as a defender, a foundation of the truth. And we are given that responsibility. And it's not a responsibility to be taken lightly. We must, as the true church folks, we must uphold the Word of God. We must uphold the truth that the Word of God is the very breath of Almighty God. 
We must uphold the, the truth of inspiration that the Word of God, that those Scriptures that you hold in your lap today are theopanoustos. They are the very breath of God in, in its original language. We must uphold the truth that the Word of God is inerrant. That is, that the Word of God is without error. That within the pages of sacred scripture, there is nothing that is error. And while the word of God does in fact record error, it does not itself contain error. It merely records the error of other men. We must uphold the truth of the infallibility of the word of God. That is, that is not only is the word of God without error, but the word of God is incapable of error. We must uphold, church, the sufficiency of Scripture. That is, that there is nothing in the Christian life that the Word of God is not sufficient to answer. We must uphold the perspicuity of the Word of God. That is, that the Word of God is absolutely clear in its message. That within the pages of the Word of God, there is no ambiguity in the message of the Word of God. It is inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is sufficient. It is clear. It is inspired. It is the Word of God. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. And we, as the church, must uphold that truth. Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 30, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. And Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Folks, listen, the church of Jesus Christ Emmanuel Baptist Church must be a upholder and we must be the foundation and we must be the church that upholds the truth that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is inspired. The Bible is inerrant. The Bible is infallible. The Bible is sufficient and the Bible's message is clear. Listen, if there's any equivocation in your doctrine on the reliability and the sufficiency and the inspiration of the Bible, Word of God, everything else in your life is brought into question. It must start there. That's why the Reformer said everything else hinges on sola scriptura. Everything hinges on the Word of God being inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, and clear. But folks, as the true church, we must not only uphold the facts of the Word of God, but we must uphold the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must uphold the fact that He is God of very gods. The Scriptures do not teach what is commonly known, church, as oneness theology. That is, that there is one God that manifests Himself in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We do not believe the Word of God teaches that God is merely a manifestation in different modes, but that it teaches that in the person, that in the one being that is God, there exist three separate, distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three persons are distinct. These three persons are separate. These three persons are co-equal. And these three persons are co-eternal. We see that shown to us in the Gospel of Luke at the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 3 and verse 21, all three members of the Godhead show up at the same time. And when all the people were baptized, 
It came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And right there at the, at the baptism of Jesus Christ, you have all three persons of the Godhead that show up. You have Jesus being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. And you have the Father speaking from heaven. Three distinct persons, one eternal being, co-eternal and co-equal. That's what the Word of God teaches. And listen, folks, the church, this church must be the foundation and the pillars that hold up that truth. We must uphold the truth that Jesus Christ is the second person of the triune Godhead, that He is co-eternal, that He is co-equal with the Father in full deity. We must uphold the fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That Jesus Christ was conceived in the womb of Mary without the agency of a human man. And was born without sin and lived a life in the flesh having never committed a sin. That he was truly God and truly man. This church must uphold that truth. This church must be the foundation of the truth. Because folks, let me tell you, there are religions and there are churches all over our land this morning that are denying every truth of Scripture that I've just mentioned to you. One of them is not so far up the road in both directions. And they're all over. Those churches that deny. You've got a church up here, this way, that denies the deity of Jesus Christ. You have a church down this way in the form of the assembly of God that denies the co-eternality of Jesus Christ with the Father. And so you've got them in both directions. And they, and they exist to, to the ruination of truth. And the true church, folks, this church must be marked as a church that upholds and is the foundation of the truth. We must uphold the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. That when Jesus Christ died on Calvary, He was the God-ordained substitute for sinners. That He was just not making salvation possible, but He was absolutely substituting for sinners. We must uphold the facts of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ because His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. We must uphold the bodily pre-tribulational return of Jesus Christ. We must uphold the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. This church must be marked as those that defend and uphold the truth. And the true church, the joyful church as we saw last week, has the attitude of boldness. And we boldly stand stand for these things and we never let them go because folks listen if the true church doesn't uphold the truth then number one it's not the true church but number two no one else will no one else will you're not going to find the truth in Washington even the unchurched will tell you that you're only going to find the truth in the Scriptures, in and in the church that upholds the Scriptures. We must uphold the truth of the fact, church, of the sanctity of life. We must, we must, we must downplay and we must pray against the horrific acts of abortion. But we must also at the same time 
downplay and pray against the horrific acts that ultimately lead to the destruction of the life of our elderly. Because their lives are just as sanctified as anyone else's. And as the true church, we must uphold the facts of the sanctity of life. As the true church, we must uphold the truth that marriage is an institution created by Almighty God. And that the institution created by Almighty God is, according to Genesis, between one man and one woman. And any attempt to create any form of union of the same sex is a violation of the original design of God. I was watching a television program yesterday. I don't know. I like HGTV. I'm kind of a dork. And I like HGTV. And my wife and I were watching this show. And I, I could tell you what the name of the show was. It may not mean anything to you. But we were, we were watching this show. And next thing you know, on this show, the host, the, the, guest, the guest on this show was a homosexual couple building a house. And that wasn't the offensive part. I'm used to seeing that. But the offensive part is one of those men stood behind a pulpit in a church. This church, we're not going to be popular. But folks, listen, this church must uphold the foundation and the ground that marriage is the union of one man and one woman for life together. That's it. And we didn't watch the show. I had to turn it off. I had to turn it off. And I like that show. I don't know that I'll ever watch that show again. I like that show. But I couldn't watch it. I had to turn it off. And I think I put on Star Wars. <laughs> and we must see that lifestyle and we must proclaim that that lifestyle, folks, is sinful before God. When God made Adam and Eve, he created Adam and he created Eve and he didn't create Adam and Eve and Steve. And he didn't create Adam and Eve and Ethel. There were no spares. Adam and Eve had to learn to get along. Because that was the family. One man and one woman. Together. As a family. And this church must stand to uphold that truth. And the joyful church is a bold church. And a joyful church is a bold church because as we uphold these truths, we receive the blessings of God because we are the foundation and the upholder of truth. But not only are we a joyful church that is bold, but a joyful church is beneficial. And folks, listen, we told you last week that even though the joyful church is bold and, and stands unequivocally on the truth of God's Word, we do so with love in our hearts. Because we understand the fact that except it be for the grace of Almighty God, we would be in the exact same spot that, those, that the most hardened sinner is. 
There's nothing different about me that is different about Ted Bundy except one word, and that's grace. That's grace. There's nothing in the world any different between me and Adolf Hitler except one word, and that's grace. There's, no, there's nothing different between me and Jeffrey Dahmer except one word, and that is grace. Because the point is, folks, listen, if it were not for grace, you and I could be a Jeffrey Dahmer. You and I could be an Adolf Hitler. And you and I could be the hardened sinner without grace. And so therefore, we need to be loving, don't we? And as the church of Jesus Christ, as the world sees the church loving Bold, yes. Standing for truth, yes. But as the church, as the world sees the church loving and caring, the Lord will use that to draw His people to Himself. And the world will see the, the beneficiality of the church because the church is loving. Listen, it does you absolutely, church, no good to be bold and be a jerk. That does you absolutely no good to boldly stand for truth but hate people standing for truth. Hate those people that you, that you think haven't measured up to you. The joyful church is bold. The joyful church is beneficial. Now that was introduction. It's so funny, Abby. Number three, the joyful church is blended. The joyful church is bold. The joyful church is beneficial. And the joyful church is blended. The attitude of the church is bold because as we receive, first part of verse 1, as we receive encouragement from Christ, it increases our boldness. Remember what happened to the New Testament church? The more they were persecuted, what happened to them? the more bold they become. Because as they needed more boldness, they received that the, the perichalasis. We saw that the word uh, consolation there means the word for encouragement. And as they, were, as they were persecuted, they received more encouragement from the Holy Spirit that made them more bold. And as the attitude of the church is bold because we have received that encouragement from Christ, the attitude of the church is also beneficial. But we realize that because we realize, folks, that the outpouring of love that we receive from Christ, that we need to give that love to others. Listen, we're not supposed to be just a sponge and absorb all this love and grace and keep it to ourselves. We are to, yes, absorb all of this love and grace, but we are to give that love and grace to others. Just as someone, sometime in your past, showed you love and grace, you and I are to show love and grace. But all this leads to the church of Jesus Christ being joyful because it's blended. Look at verse 1 of Philippians 2. What does Paul say? If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, that's the boldness. If any comfort of love, that's the beneficial. If any fellowship... Of the Spirit. Please note that prepositional phrase of the Spirit. Listen, the fellowship that exists among believers is created by God. It exists not because we necessarily, folks, have so much in common, but because by grace we have been made mutually dependent members of the body of Christ. And because we are mutually dependent, on one another, 
What does that do? That makes the bond of fellowship from the Spirit all the more joyful. You know why? You know one of the great things about coming to church? You know one of the great things about being a part of a local body of Christ? You know what one of the great things are? One of the best things uh, from a human perspective for me is you. Is you. Because we have the fellowship of the Spirit. Because Christians, listen, who are among other believers are far more joyful than those who hibernate themselves. You and I, we're not created by God. We're not bears. We're not created by God to go in hibernation. We're created by God to have fellowship and enjoy one another. And we're far more joyful as we share fellowship amongst each other because the Holy Spirit has made that fellowship because we were made for relationships. In fact, this dimension of the Christian life or the Christian's fellowship is clearly taught in the opening verses of 1 John. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, the apostle says, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have what? Fellowship with us. And truly our what? Fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This means that because we have been brought into a vertical relationship with God by grace, there must also be the horizontal relationship of fellowship that extends toward and embraces other Christians. And a person, church, that is truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit will want that horizontal relationship with other believers. John says again in 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we what? You Wednesday night crowd. We lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, notice what He says, if we, singular or plural, boy, we're getting tough today, aren't we? If we, plural, walk in the light, as He is in the light, we, plural, have fellowship with who? Each other. If you and I don't have, we've been learning it on, Sunday, on Wednesday nights, if you and I don't have anything else in common, the one thing we have in common is Jesus Christ. And because what we have in common is Jesus Christ, we all have share fellowship together. Do you have a Christian brother or sister with whom you're not speaking? Maybe that... Christian brother, sister to whom you're not speaking is in this church. Maybe they're not. Or is, there, or is there a member of the body of Christ of whom you are on bad terms? Folks, I tell you that on the, based on the authority of the Word of God in these verses, that there's, that there's something, if that is true of you, there's something lacking in your relationship with God. The, a Christian who will stand by and allow Something to come between them and another believer in Christ shows that there's something lacking in their relationship with God. Because the believer of Jesus Christ, the joyful believer in Christ, is blended. He wants, she wants that fellowship. And listen, your lack of fellowship with another Christian is not God's doing. That's your doing. And for a true believer... The lack of fellowship decreases joy because joyful Christians are blended. 
Joyful Christians are blue. You know why we go downstairs and y'all laugh and have a good time? Not because the food is so good, which it is. You women are some phenomenal cooks, and many of you men are too. But you know why you laugh and have such a good time? Because of what? Fellowship. Because of fellowship. Because you love each other. And you're blended. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? You're different, but yet you're the same. You're different, but yet you're together. And you've got different ideas and different personalities and different thoughts, but in the body of Christ, you come together and you're one. And you have joy because of it. The attitude of having fellowship with other believers that is granted to us by the grace of God brings an attitude of joy. That's why the joyful church is a blended church. And remember I said to you that all these things in verse 1, they're, they're, they're nouns, they're not verbs. The verbs come in verses 2 through 4. All these in verse 1 are nouns. That means these are not what the church does, this is what the church is. The church is joyful because it's bold. The church is joyful because it's beneficial. The church is joyful because it's blended. And the Greek word there in our text for fellowship is a Greek word, pornonia, and it literally means partnership. You and I are partners. You and I are partners in this work for God. Listen, if there's no one in your life personally that you could ever depend on here on earth, you should be able to depend upon your brothers and sisters in Christ because of the fellowship of the Spirit. Because we're partners. The word koinonia was used in classical Greek of business partners who were involved in the same venture. You and I have the same goals, don't we? At least we should. That is to evangelize the world and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian life can be summed up in this. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what can sum up the Christian life. And for the Christian, we always have the active participant in us by the way of the Holy Spirit. And as I have the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit, that's why Paul, that's why Paul says in verse 1 that it is the koinonia ne numenta. It is a fellowship. It is a partnership of the Spirit. The same Spirit that indwells me is the same Spirit that indwells you and causes that sweet, sweet union. I love you folks. Not because everything about you is lovable. I don't know of anything about most of you, most of you, that are not lovable. I know some things about Autumn that aren't exactly lovable. But I'm sure there's things about you guys that aren't lovable. I don't know what they are, but I'm sure that they exist because you're flesh just like me. But why do we love each other? The Spirit. The Spirit. That's why Paul calls it the fellowship, the partnership of the Spirit. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? And of course, this context, Paul is referring to the temple of the church, not the temple of the body. We are one body in Christ's church. We are partnerships together. We fellowship together, and that brings joy. That brings joy. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13, For by one Spirit are you all baptized into one body, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, whether they be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into the one Spirit. 
Do you know what it's like to have fellowship with the Spirit? If you're a Christian, you do. And because you know what it's like, you know that it brings joy. You're not a joyful Christian if you sit off and sulk and, and sour by yourself. Because we were made for each other. We were made for relationships. We were made to bond. We were made to blend. And Paul says, listen, the true church is known by a fellowshipping church, a partnership church. And that's the attitude of a joyful church. It is blended. The joyful church is blended. The joyful church enjoys being together. Because we all share the same common Holy Spirit. Number four, the joyful church is bold. The joyful church is benevolent. The joyful church is blended. And number four, the joyful church is benevolent. The joyful church is benevolent. You could say that this is really the culmination of the attitude of the joyful church. And it's really summed up in the last part of verse 1. Look what he says there in verse 1. If any bows and mercies. And that sounds kind of gross, but let me tell you what Paul is actually saying. And I say, folks, that this is really the culmination of the joyful church because these attitudes, these qualities or attributes characterize Christ. Listen, church, you and I are never more like Christ than we are than we will, when we are forgiving one another, when we are loving one another, when we are caring about one another. We're no more like Christ than when those attitudes are true within us. But the exact opposite is also true, isn't it? That we're never more unlike Christ than we are than we're not forgiving or not loving or not caring about each other. The word affection there in our text or word bows, it could be literally translated affection, was a splock non, and it was used to refer to the innermost parts of a person's body. It could be literally translated the inward parts, the guts or the entrails, the deep down part of a person. It is a word that speaks about a deeply felt compassion for one another. And in, a, and in the ancient world, it was, a, it was a word that was used to refer to the heart. The place of a person's innermost emotions. And the word, splachnon, is a word that is used in connection with a deep-seated care for someone. And Paul used that word to describe how he cared about the Philippian believers. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, For God is my record, how greatly I longed after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says that, listen, what is, the, what is one of the things that characterizes the Christian? That there's something going on in your gut. There's something going on in your heart. There's something going on in you. Every one of you that are children of God, that are, there's something going on inside of where your entrails are. The deep-seated part of your emotion. The deepest part of who you are. There's something going on. And what is that? Verse 1 again. Mercies. Mercies. Oktrimos in the Greek. And it means to display a concern for another person's misfortune. It means to have deep sympathy for someone and to be aware of their problems and to be willing to help with another person's problems 
Jesus said it this way in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the what? Blessed are those who show mercy, for they have obtained mercy. Because listen, church, a person that shows a merciful heart to others show that mercy because they've received mercy. And the experience of the joyful church's attitude is that we feel the awareness, we feel the sympathy for each other's pain. Emmanuel Baptist Church must be marked, Paul says, by bowels and mercies that deep within our guts we care about each other. We just don't break bread with each other, which we do a lot, but we just don't break bread with one another. We care about each other. And it's deep within us. Paul says it comes from your bowels. It's deep within who you are. It's not just a pain felt where you attempt to give encouragement, although you do give encouragement. It's a pain that goes much deeper than that. When you cry, I cry. When you rejoice, I rejoice. When you weep, I weep. When you mourn, I mourn. That's the type of relationship that must be in this church. It is the deep-seated care for others that goes all the way down to the deepest part, the deepest places of your emotions. And that is the attitude, Paul says, of the joyful church. Compassion. Compassion. Not only compassion, but mercy. Compassion is a feeling. Mercy is a what, church? Is the act. Mercy is caring in your heart. Or compassion is caring in your heart. Mercy is acting because you care. You see, Paul just doesn't say bowels. Paul says bowels and mercies. Listen, the true church, just as the joyful church, is not just a church that recognizes and feels the pain that other people are going through in that church, but the true church, not only the joyful church, not only feels it, but they do something about it. And compassion and mercy flow in the lives of those who have experienced them. Every person in this auditorium tonight have, had the, today has received both bowels and mercies from Almighty God. Every one of us. And because we have all received bowels and mercies from God, we give it. We give what we've experienced. Which is why we can have joy in the midst of sorrow. And here Paul is reactivating their spiritual remembrance. We have all experienced the boldness that, I, that is ours because of the presence of Christ's power through the ministry and the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. We have all experienced the love of Christ to a magnanimous degree. We have all experienced passing that love on to others. And through Christ, we have all felt the fellowship uh, that we have together, all being indwelt by the same Spirit. And we've all experienced, church, sympathy and compassion from Christ. Because every one of us have messed up. Right? Amen, somebody. We've all messed up. We've all messed up repeatedly. We've all been involved in gross, immoral acts of sin. We've all done it. 
We've all done those things that would bring shame upon the name of Almighty God. We've all done it. Your pastor included. But as Jesus Christ showed you and I sympathy and compassion, the joyful church shows that to other people. I read an article some years ago. It was written by an unsaved man. I don't remember his name. It didn't stick with me. And I don't remember most of the article. It's been about 20 years ago that I read this article, and I don't remember whatever else he said in the article, but this is the only part of the article I remember because it was probably the only part of the article that that stuck out as I was reading it. And this man was writing an article about the relationship of the church to the world, like he knew anything about it, but he was writing as an expert. But what he said was this. He said, the church is the only living organism in existence that kicks its own when they're down. That should never be the case. As Jesus Christ hung and bled at Calvary and died for the sins of his people, he felt the great awareness of our need deep within his being. It was so deep that he'd sweat great drops of blood. His anguish and his compassion for us was so so great that literally inside of his head, blood capillaries burst and mingled with sweat and and he was sweating drops of blood. And Because he demonstrated, church, that kind of selfless love to us, we need to demonstrate selfless love to others. And a joyful Christian is tender. Are you hearing me this morning? Is tender towards the needs of others and is eager to help alleviate the pain as best they can. The joyful Christian and the joyful church does not stand over a hurting person with a pharisaical attitude that says, well, they brought it on themselves. I hope they learned their lesson. That's not love. And yet, while they may need to learn their lesson, they they also need to know that there's love at Emmanuel Baptist Church. That there's compassion at Emmanuel Baptist Church from deep within who we are. That we are bold, yes. We will not equivocate on truth. We will stand for truth at all costs, at all times, and we will not bow to Caesar. And so we're bold. But we're also beneficial. The love we received, we give. We stand for truth with love. And how can we do that most gratefully, most joyfully? By our fellowship, our partnership together. Because we're blended. And that we're benevolent. We feel the tender with tenderness the pains of others and are willing to help. The Apostle Paul says real quick in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, 
holy and beloved what? Bowels of mercies. Deep within who you are, Paul says, you are to put on mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. In fact, I will say that a person who continually shuts up a deep-seat compassion over the hurting of others shows indications that they do so because they have never truly responded to the great mercy of God. James says in James chapter 2, verse 13, For he shall have judgment without mercy, that have showed no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment those people who have been given mercy show mercy in james chapter 3 verse 17 but the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable gentle and easy to be entreated full of what don't call yourself a discerning christian and don't call yourself a godly person if you don't have mercy for other people because james says that the wisdom that is from above is full of mercy. In 1 John chapter 3, But whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in what? Deed and truth. You see, when we truly know what it is like to have fellowship with the Spirit, when we truly know what it is like to receive compassion, when we truly know what it is like to receive mercy, then we have no problem at all giving it. The joyful church is benevolent. The joyful church has a deep-seated concern for others and has the longings that have been given to them by the Spirit to help solve the problem. Most of you all, many of you all, probably all of you, I have at one point in the last years sent you a text message or said to your face, and I get some chuckles when I do this these days, but sent you a text message or said to you to your face, you need anything. I really mean that. I really do mean that. It's not cliche to me. I really do mean that. Because you know what, folks, it goes back to this. God is very faithful because I've asked him to do this for me and he's been faithful to do it. God is very faithful to remind me of how sinful I am. And how much mercy I have received. How much grace I have received. How dare I not give it? That's why the joyful church is benevolent. It is bold. It is beneficial. It is blended. It is benevolent. How's the Manual Baptist Church doing in the joy department? How are you doing in the joy department? Because you make up a Manual Baptist Church. How are you doing in the joy department? you have a joyful attitude? Do you know what it's like to be joyful because you're bold? Because you've actually stood for something? You've actually stood for truth? Are you bold through your and show yourself to be beneficial because you give to others the love you've received? 
Are you joyful because you enjoy the fellowship of God's people? That you're, we're partners together? Not just, listen, fellowship is not eating a meal. Fellowship is partnering together, arm in arm, step in step, walking the walk of a Christian to defend the glory of God and praise His name. That's what fellowship is all about. Christianity has gotten a, a, a bad rap on what fellowship is. It's not about eating. It's about serving Christ. And we do that all the time. Eating is not fellowship, it's bellyship. And there's a difference. There's a difference. How are you with your attitude of joy? We come to church together and we're partners. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We're God's. You're God's. I'm God's. We're together in this thing. How are you doing, church, in your benevolence? Are you showing love and mercy to others? Do you have a deep-seated, down in the deepest part of your being, a concern for others and a willingness to act on that concern? That's what bowels and mercies are that Paul calls for in verse 1. And again, these are not what the church does. This is what the church is. These are nouns that describe the church. It's what we are. Joyful church is not hard. It's not a hard church. In fact, John MacArthur said this: hard preaching makes soft hearts. Soft preaching makes hard hearts. You know why I get up here and flap my arms and spit and stomp and sweat? Because I want you to have heart. I want you to have soft hearts toward others. You're bold, yes, but you're loving. You have deep within your person a deep-seated concern and a willingness to act on that. That, beloved, is what the church is. Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the Word of God has been a spiritual blessing to your soul. For more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on our Facebook page at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Our Lord's Day services are 10 and 11 a.m. as well as 6.30 p.m. We also have a Wednesday service at 6.30 p.m. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that the message of God's divine truth would always go from the cross, through the church, to the world, until Christ come. God bless you. God, you would be where they are.